0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 319. Today's Big Bible Question, what is the best six-word description of the return of Jesus? Well, happy Tuesday to you, friends. Today, our readings range from 2 Kings 23 to Psalms 142, Joel chapter 2, and we finish with Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be focusing in on Joel chapter 2 today. Talking a little bit about the second coming of Jesus in the last days. I will tell you that at the Bible Reading Podcast Bunker, our home, it feels a little like the last days today, maybe a little like Armageddon. There are seven of us here, my wife Janet and five kids, and from Saturday night until this morning, uh, which is a, uh, I'm recording this on a Monday night, we've had four of the seven come down with sickness, my wife and three of the kids. They are very stuffy and sneezing and some are coughing. We are hoping for a cold or a cold-like thing and not COVID, obviously, but we won't know the results of the tests until Wednesday, so they say. And I would just ask for your prayers for a quick healing and deliverance from a hard struggle, regardless of what it is we're fighting. The kids and I all have asthma, so that makes any cold, flu, COVID, or whatever a bit challenging. That said, God is sovereign. And he's on his throne, and we trust him in times that are good and bad because we know he's faithful. Now, question for you. Can you name the Bible passage that the first sermon ever preached in the history of the church was based on? Well, we find that answer in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, which sees Peter preaching to the gathered crowd of thousands of people who were drawn by the Holy Spirit, speaking through the other followers of Jesus there. Peter stands up in the midst of all of that to address the crowd, and he quotes directly from Joel chapter 2, which is our focus passage today. Now, before moving to California, I was a pastor in Alabama, where I also taught Bible and theology classes at a couple of different colleges for almost 10 years. I really do miss teaching those classes But there are a little bit less opportunities to teach Bible and theology classes at the college level in Cali than there are in the Bible Belt. So, you know, we make do. One of my favorite questions to ask students back in the day on a test was our big Bible question today. What is the best six-word description of the return of Jesus and the end times? Now, the answer wasn't hard if you were actually in my class or got the notes from somebody because I would spend a lot of time talking about it because I usually spent a good bit of time talking about today's Joel chapter 2 passage and talking about in general. I think we spent a whole class on the Bible's teaching on the last days and end times. So, you be a student now. Let's read Joel chapter 2 together And let's see if you can hear that six-word description that I call the best description of the return of Jesus, or the last days, or the end times, if you will. Joel chapter 2, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Blow the ram's horn in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the residents of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming In fact, it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and total darkness, like the dawn spreading over the mountains. A great and strong people appear, such as never existed in ages past and never will again in all the generations to come. A fire devours in front of them, and behind them a flame blazes. The land in front of them is like the Garden of Eden, but behind them it is like a desert wasteland. There is no escape from them. Their appearance is like that of horses— And they gallop like war horses. They bound on the tops of the mountains. Their sound is like the sound of chariots, like the sound of fiery flames consuming stubble, like a mighty army deployed for war. Nations writhe in horror before them. All faces turn pale. They attack as warriors attack. They scale walls as men of war do. Each goes on his own path, and they do not change their course. They do not push each other. Each proceeds on his own path. They dodge the arrows, never stopping. They storm the city. They run the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter through the windows like thieves. The earth quakes before them. The sky shakes. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars cease their shining. The Lord makes his voice heard in the presence of his army. His camp is very large. Those who carry out his command are powerful. Indeed, the day of the Lord is terrible and dreadful. Who can endure it? Even now, this is the Lord's declaration. Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Tear your hearts, not just your clothes, and return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and he relents from sending disaster. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, so you can offer a grain offering and a drink offering to the Lord your God. "...blow the ram's horn in Zion, announce a sacred fast, gather a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the infants, even babies nursing at the breast, let the groom leave his bedroom, and the bride her honeymoon chamber, let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the portico and the altar... Let them say, Have pity on your people, Lord, and do not make your inheritance a disgrace. An object of scorn among the nations. Why should it be said among the people, Where is their God? By the way, we haven't reached it yet. Verse 18 Then the Lord became jealous for his land and spared his people. The Lord answered his people, Look, I'm about to send you grain, new wine, and fresh oil. You will be satiated with them, and I will no longer make you a disgrace among the nations. I will drive the northerner far from you and banish him to a dry and desolate land. His front ranks into the Dead Sea and his rear guard into the Mediterranean Sea. His stench will rise, yes, his rotten smell will rise, for he has done astonishing things." Don't be afraid, land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done astonishing things. Don't be afraid, wild animals, for the wilderness pastures have turned green, the trees bear their fruit, and the fig tree and the grapevine yield their riches. Children of Zion, rejoice and be glad in the Lord your God, because he gives you the autumn rain for your vindication. He sends showers for you, both autumn and spring rain as before. The threshing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with new wine and fresh oil. I will repay you for the years that the swarming locust ate, the young locust, the destroying locust, and the devouring locust. My great army that I sent against you, you will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. You will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. My people will never again be put to shame. You will know that I am present in Israel and that I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people will never again be put to shame. After this. I will pour out my spirit on all of humanity. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as the Lord promised among the survivors the Lord calls. So did you catch it? It's right there in Joel 2.31. Now in the CSB Bible, which I was not teaching out of at the time, it's seven words. Uh, so, but, but in other translations, it's six words. It's the great and terrible day of The Lord or the great and terrible day of God. Joel 2.31. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Now, I've been thinking about that passage a good bit the last couple of months, most especially when our city of Salinas was being impacted by all of the California fires, one of the bigger of which was just about seven miles from our house. The day was eerie, the sun was darkened, and it looked like a cloudy, stormy day, even though there was just no clouds at all. The sky was like this weird brown color, and the sun was a not-very-intense, like, pink color. You could stare right at it, just like looking at a dim light quite a distance away. It wasn't bright, it didn't hurt your eyes. Anytime you caught it out of the corner of your eye, your brain was like, wait, something's wrong. The moon was weird too at night, owing to all of the ash in the sky. It was a very strange dark orange color, not really a blood moon. I wouldn't describe it like that. And of course, the sun wasn't quite dark. It was like pink, but they were so different looking that I could far more easily imagine conditions that could turn the moon to a blood-like color and darken the sun. So when Jesus returns, it will be the great and terrible day of God or the great and terrible day of the Lord great for those who are saved by grace through faith and are in Christ, and terrible for those who have rejected him. Well, why is it going to be terrible? Well, let's look at Revelation 14, verse 14. John writes, I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple and called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud, Take your sickle and reap, because the time to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Still another angel, who had charge of the fire, came from the altar and called in a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, Take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine, because its grapes are ripe." The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes, and threw them into the great wine press uh, press of God's wrath. They were trampled in the wine press outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press, rising as high as the horse's bridles for a distance of 1,600 stadia, which is a long way. Now that is a chilling passage when you realize that the grapes being trampled are people. Very, very interesting, chilling, and scary. So what in the world is going on here? I believe, acknowledging that there's a lot of mystery in Revelation, that John is describing in John, in Revelation 14, the second coming. And it doesn't look exactly like what we usually think it will look like. It's going to be violent because it's a terrible day of the Lord. It's, it will be beautiful, yes, glorious, hopeful, graceful, wonderful, encouraging, and violent and terrible. It's going to be a great and terrible day because there's going to be vengeance for the enemies of God. And Jesus is not coming back as a meek servant, but as a warrior king. Well, why will it be great then? Well, Revelation 21, 3 through 8 has an answer for us there. And also a bit of the foreshadowing back to the terrible part. John writes, I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. He also said, "'Write, because these words are faithful and true.' Then he said to me, "'It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son.' But the cowards, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's Revelation 21, 3-8. through 8. I believe great and terrible is the absolutely proper way to talk about the last days. So many things happening will be great, most especially the anticipation of the real physical appearing of Jesus And yet so many more of the things happening will be absolutely terrible and difficult. There will be terrible times in the last days, says Paul to Timothy. Jesus tells us that if those days hadn't been shortened by God's decree, then none of us or nobody alive on the earth at the time would survive them. This is sobering, but it's also helpful because we know that right after the terrible part of the last days comes the great part. So how can we be prepared for the great and terrible day of the Lord? Well, I love the answer that John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, um, gives to that question, in which he actually demonstrates that not every Christian of every age, Newton wrote this in the 1700s, believed that Jesus would ret- return in their lifetime. So this is what Newton says about the great and terrible day of the Lord. These great events will take place unexpectedly and suddenly, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We have reason to believe, says Newton, that a part, at least, of mankind will be employed as they are now, and as they were in the days of Noah and Lot, ink eating, drinking, buying, selling, building, and planting, having nothing less in their thoughts than the calamity and destruction which shall overwhelm them without warning. For while they are promising themselves peace, The day of the Lord shall come upon them like a thief in the night, unlooked for, and like the pains of a laboring woman, or a woman in labor, unavoidable. In that day the lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of man shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone will be exalted. So large a part of divine prophecy remains yet to be fulfilled that I apprehend it's not probable that any of us shall be alive when this great and terrible day of the Lord shall be revealed. Again, he was writing this in the 1700s. But are not some of us exposed to a similar dreadful surprise? If you die in your sins, the consequences will be no less deplorable to you than if you saw the whole frame of nature perishing with you. Alas, what will you do? Whither will you flee for help? Or where will you leave your glory if... While you are engrossed by the cares or pleasures or business of this world, death should arrest you and summon you to judgment. The rich man in the gospel, uh, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, that is, is not charged with any crimes of peculiar enormity. It is not said that he ground the faces of the poor or that he, by fraud or oppression, kept back the money of the laborers who had reaped his harvest, He only rejoiced in his wealth and in having much goods laid up for many years, and that therefore he might securely eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, You fool, this night will your soul be required of you. An awful disappointment. Thus will it be, sooner or later, with all whose hearts and portions are in this world, but are not rich towards God. Consider this, you that are like-minded with the rich man." Tremble at the thought of being found in the number of those who have all of their consolation and hope here on earth, and who, when they die, must leave everything behind them. Now is the acceptable time, the day of the salvation. Now, if you will seek the Lord, he will be found of you. Now, if you pray for grace and faith, he will answer you. But then... When the master of the house shall arise and with his own sovereign authoritative hand shall shut the door of his mercy, it will be in vain and too late for any of us to say, Lord, Lord, open up for us. Those are sobering words by Mr. John Newton, a man of great grace. So friends, if you are dallying, wondering if now is the day of the mercy of the Lord, I encourage you, it is, turn to him wholeheartedly and follow him, knowing that salvation is not by your goodness or merit. You can't earn it. You can't disavow it. No matter what you've done in the past, the blood of Jesus is adequate to cover every one of your sins. Stop trying to be saved and believe in the Lord who has saved you by his death on the cross and turn to him in wholehearted faith, believing the gospel, and you will be saved by grace through faith, not by works so that there's no bragging about it, and also so that you will be ready secure in Christ for the great and terrible day of the Lord. Well, let's continue in 2 Kings chapter 23 verse 1. So the king sent messengers and they gathered all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. Then the king went to the Lord's temple with all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, as well as the priests and the prophets, all the people from the youngest to the oldest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the Lord's temple. Next, the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant in the Lord's presence to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul in order to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in this book. All the people agreed to the covenant. Then the king commanded the high priest Hilkiah and the priests of second rank and the doorkeepers to bring out of the Lord's sanctuary all the articles made for Baal, Asherah, and all the stars in the sky. He burned them outside Jerusalem and in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he did away with the idolatrous priests. The kings of Judah had appointed to burn burn incense at the high places in the cities of Judah and in the areas surrounding Jerusalem. They had burned incense to Baal and to the sun, moon, constellations, and all the stars in the sky. He brought out the Asherah pole from the Lord's temple to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem. He burned it at the Kidron Valley beat it to dust and threw its dust on the graves of the common people. He also tore down the houses of the male cult prostitutes that were in the Lord's temple in which the women were weaving tapestries for Asherah. Then Josiah brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and he defiled the high places from Geba to Beersheba where the priests had burnt incense. He tore down the high places of the city gates at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, on the left at the city gate. The priests of the high places, however, did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem. Instead, they ate unleavened bread with their fellow priests. He defiled Topheth, which is in the Ben-Hanam valley, so that no one could sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire to Molech. He did away with the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun. They had been at the entrance of the Lord's temple in the precincts by the chamber of Nathan-Melech, the eunuch. He also burned the chariots of the sun. The king tore down the altars that the kings of Judah had made on the roof of Ahaz's upper chamber. He also tore down the altars that Manasseh had made in the two courtyards of the Lord's temple. Then he smashed them there and threw their dust into the Kidron Valley. The king also defiled the high places that were across from Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Destruction, which King Solomon of Israel had built for Ashtoreth, the abhorrent idol of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the detestable idol of the Ammonites. He broke the sacred pillars into pieces, cut down the Asherah poles, then filled their places with human bones. He even tore down the altar at Bethel in the high place that had been made by Jeroboam son of Nebat who had caused Israel to sin. He burned the high place, crushed it to dust, and burned the Asherah. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mountains. He sent someone to take the bones out of the tombs, and he burned them on the altar. He defiled it according to the word of the Lord, proclaimed by the man of God, who proclaimed these things. Then he said, What is this monument I see? The men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things that you have done to the altar at Bethel. So he said, Let him rest. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Josiah also removed all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to anger the Lord. Josiah did the same things to them that he had done at Bethel. He slaughtered on the altars of all, all the priests of those high places, and he burned human bones on the altars. Then he returned to Jerusalem. The king commanded all the people, observe the Passover the Lord your God as written in the book of the covenant. No such Passover had ever been observed from the time of the judges who judged Israel through the entire time of the kings of Israel and Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Lord's Passover was observed in Jerusalem. In addition, Josiah eradicated the mediums, the spiritists, household idols, images, and all the abhorrent things that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem. He did this in order to carry out the words of the law that were written in the book that the priest Hilkiah found in the Lord's temple. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength according to the law of Moses, and no one like him arose after him. In spite of all that, the Lord did not turn from the fury of his intense burning anger which burned against Judah because of all the affronts with which Manasseh had angered him. For the Lord had said, I will also remove Judah from my presence just as I removed Israel. I will reject this city, Jerusalem, that I have chosen and the temple about which I said my name will be there. The rest of the events of Josiah's reign... Along with all his accomplishments are written in the historical record of Judah's kings. During his reign, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, marched up to help the king of Assyria at the Euphrates River. King Josiah went to confront him, and at Megiddo, when Necho saw him, he killed him. From Megiddo, his servants carried his dead body in a chariot, brought him into Jerusalem, and buried him in his own tomb. Then the common people took Jehoiahaz, son of Josiah, anointed him, and made him king in the place of his father. Jehoiahaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah. She was from Libna. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. Pharaoh Necho, Necho imprisoned him at Riblah in the land of Hamath to keep him from reigning in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a fine of 7,500 pounds of sil- silver and seventy-five pounds of gold. Then Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim son of Josiah king in place of his father Josiah, and changed Eliakim's name to Jehoiakim. But Necho took Jehoiahaz and went to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and the gold to Pharaoh, but at Pharaoh's command he taxed the land to give it. He exacted the silver and the gold from the common people, each according to his assessment to give it to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebedah, daughter of Pediah. She was from Rumah. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestors had done. Psalm chapter 142, verse 1, I cry aloud to the Lord, I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy, I pour out my complaint before Him, I reveal my trouble to Him. Although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. Along this path I travel, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, no one stands up for me, there is no refuge for me, no one cares about me. I cry to you, Lord, I say, you are my shelter, my portion in the land of the living, Listen to my cry, for I am very weak. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Free me from prison, so that I can praise your name. The righteous will gather around me, because you deal generously with me. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people, to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins, as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest, but God, who said to him, "'You are my son, today I have become your father.'" Also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, and he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We have a great deal to say about this, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. The oh Lord, may we be mature in your word. May we know your word and follow it and share it with the world. Dear friends, thank you for listening today. Good day day to you and godspeed